Welcome to the Strut South Podcast. Today on the show, we're going to talk to Jason Caldwell. We're going to talk about deer scent, cover scent. We're going to talk about how to use those scents to hunt over scrapes. And we're also going to talk about a pretty significant sized buck that was taken using JNS scents. So you guys stay tuned. This is a great episode. Hope you enjoy. All right, guys. Welcome to the show. We've got Jason Caldwell on the line with us. What's up, Jason? Oh, not much. Thanks for having me today. Oh, man. My pleasure. My pleasure. I'm uh, pretty excited to talk with you. Uh, Jason, you're with uh, JNS Scent, and uh, I'll just let you go ahead and kind of introduce yourself and, you know, explain right, what yeah. y'all all right, yeah, my name's Jason, and we uh, we run the JNS Scents, uh, myself and another boy named Jeff Williamson, and JNS Scents is a small-town business, but we produce some really big results with uh, products we sell. Um, this past uh, few years, we've been growing pretty good. Uh, we sell fresh deer urines collected straight from the animals and sold on uh, ice packs. You know, we keep them all refrigerated and cold. And, ship fresh we don't collect anything outside of season and that's uh, a little bit about what we do and and who we are but you know best thing uh, about our products is you know that they're real they don't they don't have no preservatives or no additives no no artificial anything you know that's that's what we pride ourselves in cool, so that's cool. kind of a little bit about us so maybe that'll help everybody out there to understand what we do and who we are Awesome. Um, you actually brought up a point and that made me made me think of a question. Um, you said that y'all don't have preservatives. Um, so what is the what would the what's the importance, I guess, of the having fresh urine and with it not having preservatives in it? You know, what's the what kind of shelf life do you have? Well, that's a great question. Um, I'll touch on that in two different aspects. Um, for the big box stores and the and the big name brands, it's, it don't make a lot of sense for them because you're selling millions and millions of bottles and having to produce it all year long, and then you can't get away without adding preservatives to it. Now, you know, for a small company like ours, and, and we pride ourselves in that, then we are very limited in the amount of products that we can sell. Um, our shelf life is seasonal. so. I tell customers when they buy our products, you know, to use them. Don't buy products months ahead of time, you know. In other words, if you're going to go on a hunt in October 30th or November the 15th or whatever your date of your trip you're thinking you're going on, you know, order products um, and schedule the delivery for as close to that date as possible just so you can maximize freshness. Um, and, you know, to touch base on why freshness matters, uh, you know, I always kind of kid people and, and ask them, do they think that whitetail buck they're out there hunting, does he have a pretty good nose on him? You know, of course, the answer is obviously 100% yes. 
that deer has a nose no. ten hundred times more powerful than a bloodhound. You know, he can smell yeah. a doe whether she's coming in heat in three days from now or or two or three hours from now. You know, she he knows. He sent check to the wind, you know, and he's finding those in heat. And, you know, to make a, a deer, you know, to make a product, rather, you know, so fresh that you can extract it out of a doe in estrus days before delivering it to the customer, it makes a big difference in the results, you know, that people have, you know, versus other products. And I'm not taking anything away from other products. Obviously, they've had success with their products, but the success ratio with our products versus others is is beyond comparison, no doubt. Okay. Um, now, you were saying, you know, about about the bucks smelling the does, the urine, if it's a, especially if it's doe urine. Um, I mean, I know big bucks, especially those mature bucks, they've been around long enough. So mm-hmm. they kind of have – they kind of have an idea, you know, of when the does gonna when the does are gonna come in the heat. Um, now I've heard, that, I've heard that bucks sometimes can, if they smell a doe's urine, even if she's not in heat, they can kind of um, determine exactly, almost to the day, when that they doe is tell. gonna come into heat. Is there, is there any truth to that? Absolutely. You know, I know everybody's seen on TV or hopefully if you've had the experience to see it in real life, a lip curl, you know, what that buck's doing is he's out there scent checking that, you know, whatever, whenever you see a buck on TV doing that, chances are he just stuffed his nose in a puddle of dopey that somewhere an hour ago, two hours or whenever ago, he he smells where that doe's been and he reaches down and gets some of that on the tip of his nose and does a little lip curl. And he's changing the airflow through his nasal cavity, and it it in turn goes over olfactory cells and or glands, and they he can tell from that moment if when he smells her, if she's ready, if she's something that he wants to pursue, you know, if she's getting close enough, he can tell with that lip curl uh, everything he needs to know whether to keep on moving and look for another one or or pursue that one. So absolutely, he can tell. That's crazy. Um, yeah, I've always thought that they could they could do that, and pretty much it's pretty much like uh, I guess it's the same with it's kind of relatable to humans, you know. We even with smell, we can we we can smell, you know, a certain perfume or something of our That's wife right. or something with our wife, you know. It's kind of sure you know whether you like it or you don't like it. I mean, no doubt about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, now, it's definitely something to think about. I mean, most people don't think that went far ahead, and, and they just think, well, I need some deer pee, and I head to Walmart and grab something off the shelf. But, you know, if you really stop and think about the, the critter you're hunting, the white-tailed buck, the, the doe, whatever you're hunting, and if you don't give that animal enough credit that he's got or she has a nose that's more powerful than anything you're going to hunt ever probably, then you're fooling yourself. I mean, a lot of people don't have luck with scent. It's because they've never used a quality good scent, you know, and all they bought, you know, stuff off the shelf at, at the big box store and took off to the woods with it and not had a plan, not had a, you know, there's a lot of strategy and, and uh, you know, tactics that you can implement out in the field that, you know, a lot of people don't 
don't really know about. They've never really had a, a lot of experience with that, you know, and, and we help people along the way with that, too. You know, if they have questions, we can answer them and tell them how to use our products and to better their odds, if you will. Okay. Yeah, that's good. That's good information there. Um, well, I know, like, everybody, I think, I think everybody gets the idea of using scents and stuff and deer scents, like, mainly during the rut, but are there any, what's, what's, like, right now, we're about to, you know, we're, here in Georgia, we're a month and a half, basically, away from the start of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some what are some good tactics or even kind of kind of if you would kind of go over maybe what the deer are kind of going through right now mm-hmm. on a on a scent basis I guess and you know kind of right. what are some good tactics to use during like well, early you, season, season okay yeah that's a good question um I got two things that I do right now you know religiously and and a lot of people that know me. uh know that I'm going to do this every year. And then other people that I've been around a lot, I've trained them, if you will, or they've seen me do it enough where they start doing it and it's working for them. But a lot of people put out corn. And I don't know Georgia, you know, you guys had a, a new law this year where you can bake. Um, some people agree, some disagree, and I get out, you know, that's another topic for another day. But we do sell yeah. like cover scents. You know, we sell sweet corn cover scent. And, if you're one of those guys that do bait, and, you know, most people do bait before season, you can go out and put your corn piles out, you know, and, and enhance that corn pile with some of our sweet corn. That's, I know it's not the urine, but we do have cover scents, you know, and, and attractants that way, too. Um, mm-hmm. Other than that, what I do right now is I put out mock scrapes. Um, I always try to target late July to early August, and I start making mock scrapes. And, you know, people may think it's crazy, but... These bucks, man, they're they're always interested in working licking branches. You know, if you, I'm not gonna say every single scrape that you make will be productive. You know, it's just a, it's a fire hydrant effect. What you're wanting to do is you're wanting the buck to to go by like a dog does on a uh, a fire hydrant and take a leak, and then the next dog walks by and he smells it and he takes a leak, and before you know it, you know, every dog in the community is hitting that fire hydrant every day, and uh, that's what you're looking for with a mock scrape. You know, you're wanting that buck, that one starter buck, and that happens to be you in this situation making the mock scrape. Uh, that makes uh, the other bucks in the area start visiting and frequenting that spot, and and it's really productive. And, you know, of course, as the rut progresses and the, the deer get more and more aggressive, then those uh, mock scrapes will become more and more aggressive and more worked and on a daily basis. but You'd be surprised how often you can get good trail camera photos of velvet bucks in the late summer, early fall on, on mock scrapes. And we use the intruder buck for that. We have two two uh, products. We use the intruder buck scrape rage gel, which is a polymer-based gel that will sit, sit on the ground. It really holds the scent there for days and days. And then for our licking branch over the scrape, I use the intruder buck spray, the liquid. So that's that's the three things that I could recommend product-wise. And then also as you're getting into the early bow season, the opening day doe, it's very good, and the chill pills. You know, our chill pills are probably our second best seller out of everything we sell. Um, what that is, it's a bedding area scent. So 
you could work chill pills into your scrapes now. You could work them into opening day strategies uh, just for cover scent, for a mew, or just to enhance all the doe activity in your area. Does are very curious critters, you know, and I'm I'm all about shooting a few does early bow season and getting the getting the oh, uh, yeah. you know getting it behind you and getting the jitters out. So works really good for that. Yeah, I like I like to shoot those does too. Yeah, and go go ahead and fill that freezer up and shoot your does right, early. Man. You're not risking uh, uh, losing. I tell you, phone. that's right, man. I'm telling you, opening day, opening weekend every year. I got doe pee on the bottom of my boots. You know, the opening day doe, and I go in, make a heavy trail going in, spray branches, limbs, and then I'll open the jar of the chill pills, and I just leave the the jar lid off and set the jar down. I don't pour them out. I don't waste them. I tell people, don't waste them. Don't throw them out on the ground unless you're working them in a scrape. So they're very reusable like that, you know, and then you do have to watch your shelf life, you know, with the air and the oxygen that infects it. But if you keep it refrigerated when you're not using it and go out, you get two or three weeks out of it easily, you know, in one jar. But I couldn't tell you how many does I've thumped with their nose right in that can every year it happens. Yeah, I, I tell you, I, I really do, I really do need to start doing that. I've, I've heard a lot about the, the making the scrapes, you know, during the summertime and especially in early season. I've, I hear a lot of people saying, you know, them bucks and even does and they all use scrapes even, even during the summer. Um, oh, they will. I guarantee you they, they, uh, they like it. I mean, I'm not going to tell you, like I said, that, Every single scrape will be productive because you they won't. You know, you'll if you make five, two might be productive. But, you know, then when you find those productive scrapes, then year after year after year, they're typically, you know, active. Right. Right. Yeah. I, we, we always had this one place, man. We would always have a – it would basically be a community scrape. It wouldn't be just a, a certain buck's scrape that he made. It was just – it would be there every single year, and we would get a picture of every single deer on that one scrape. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But I think, um, I think that's really that's really good. I'm I'm definitely gonna start doing that. I need to. Um, it's a very proven tactic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, well, actually, since we're talking about scrapes, I know this. And this kind of still has to do with sense because you have to kind of play it by the way the wind is. Um, mm-hmm. What is, the, in your opinion, what's the best way to um, to hunt over scrapes? You know, myself, it, it would really depend upon if it's a mock scrape that I've made or if it's an active scrape, you know. And scrapes are so diverse, you know. You have field edge scrapes. You have scrapes in logging roads. You have scrapes just on you know, feeding areas and ridge tops, and there's really not a, I guess to me, there's not a, a correct answer, but obviously I try to hunt the upwind side of a scrape, you know, because chances, you know, I want my scent. Uh, obviously, you know, a lot of people may disagree with me there, but I'm going to hunt with the doe and heat and buck urine, and I want them to smell. I mean, i got to make sure that my um, my scent killers and my human odor is destroyed, you know, so... I'm a firm believer in ozonics and all the 
the scent killers, you know, I use every bit of that stuff, and I've had a lot of good luck um, hunting, you know, just, just 20, 30 yards off scrape edges, you know, in early October, stuff like that. But, you know, I'm not scared one single bit to get out there and, and hunt the upwind side of the scrape because I know, typically speaking, I take a lot of good care of my prop or my clothes and I don't dress, you know, in the, in the truck and drive there and at home and I dress in the field and my bags, you know, got the, the scent killing ozone technology stuff and it helps tremendously, you know, so uh, I think that, you know, to, to walk in, you know, on a, on a scrape that particularly that I've made, you know, and got it going, I'm going to drag and I'm going to put buck urine on one of my boots and I'm going to put dough and heat on the other boot. That's what I do. And I walk in and that's typically showing like a buck with a doe walking in. And then when I get to the scrape, I'll doctor the scrape and then go to my stand 20, 30, 40 yards away and, and jack up. And, you know, I do typically hunt scrape stands, you know, odd times. I think that a lot of those deer work the scrapes in the middle of the day or, or particularly after a front moves through when the rain, you know, subsides and you got drier weather, you know, they're going to come through and refresh in the scrapes. And that's how I typically work, you know, and hunt scrapes. Right. Now, what, now, I guess it would depend on if it was a mock scrape or an actual deer or, or buck scrape. I mean, would you, um, would you put buck urine into that scrape? If what I typically do on that is I'll go 10 or 20 yards over and make two more scrapes. You know, and I, I won't necessarily bother his, but I'll make more around the area and, and, I couldn't tell you how many times I've come back and they tore the woods down. I mean, they you come in there and make one or two scrapes, you know, around his little area, and he'd come back in in the nighttime, and he's just demolished the place, you know, ripped up trees, thrashed them, and made two more scrapes on the other side of yours you made. Um, you know, and I typically stay away, unless it's the, the peak of the rut, you know, and it's or right before the peak of the rut possibly, I stay away from field edge scrapes myself. I've just noticed that a lot of those are done at night, you know, and they've not been very productive for me. Now, I'm sure there are people out there that killed plenty of deer over them, but I myself personally haven't had that much luck with them, so I stay away from those. Unless, again, it is cruising time, it's really the peak right there before the peak of the rut, and they're they're coming through those field edges checking for does and things like that. But you know, weeks prior to that, I stay away from. Yeah, I, I, I've kind of noticed that too. It, I, it seems like it seems like those field edge scrapes are kind of because they're always there, and I mean, and they're usually everywhere. Sometimes you can have a scrape every twenty or thirty yards down the field. Um, oh yeah, and I do, I do think that most of those are done at nighttime, just because. Generally speaking, you're going to have all your deer are going to be out in the fields at nighttime. Oh, yeah. Yep. And he's got a lot of dominance. Or, you know, he's out there strutting his stuff, kind of to say, because, you know, there's other little bucks around, and he's out there at night feeding with all the girls and all the other boys are on the other end of the field, and he's just trying to make a show, you know. So a lot of times they do that at night. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, uh, that got me thinking. I I had a um, – there was a piece of property I hunted last year, 
and the, for for some reason last year there were more scrapes than I'd ever seen anywhere, especially on that property. But, but I mean anywhere. I, I mean there was literally um, a scrape every forty yards, and wow. I mean we went and kind of scouted one day while we when we got done hunting and. I mean, we, I probably found at least a hundred scrapes. Um, wow. And this was on like a roadbed, um, kind of in the woods. I mean, it was the roadbed, of course, is pretty open, but there's woods on both sides of it. Um, so, I mean, what do you, what do you make of that? I, I was thinking either there's one or two really mature bucks hanging out in this area and they're kind of competing or there's, way too many smaller bucks and they're just making that's scrapes. probably what i would go with i mean most of the time i've seen a lot of scrapes you know and just tons of them it's typically just you've had a good buck year that year you know you've got extra you know little one and a half year olds running everywhere so you know and that that seems to be a lot of what makes these scrapes you know uh early on especially you know it's a lot of the younger the younger deer you know they the older, more mature deer, they kind of, in my opinion, allow the, the younger bucks to do a lot of the uh, the footwork for them, you know, and then they just kind of come in and swoop up the ladies at, at rut time, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, speaking of scrapes and the scents and stuff that are in them, what, what do you think is the best um, – as far as deer urine goes, what do you think is the best scent? Would it be like buck or, you know, doe and feed or, well, for, for yes. anything in general? Okay, just overall, just my favorite? Right. Okay, well, I mean, my favorite is buck urine by by far. Now, I can tell you a hundred different stories of, of doe and heat working, and matter of fact, the biggest deer I've ever killed in my life last year um walked 18 yards to the bottom of my tree and committed rage suicide but it was on it was, and it was on going heat so you would think that'd be my favorite after that but i've seen more activity on intruder buck you know with pictures and mock scrapes and trail cameras and i've seen so much evidence that it works that it's become my favorite you know all-time scent to use and then you know, but I do often, like I told you earlier, use buck urine on one of my boots. And, you know, some people don't like putting it on their boots. They'd rather drag it in on a scent wick or whatever, and that's fine. You know, I've just, myself personally, I just put it on my boots, and I wear rubber boots. And, you know, at the end of the day, I can spray scent killer on them and be back square one. So, but I put doe and heat on one of my boots and buck on the other boot, and I go to my stand, and I'll re- reapply it every Depending on the vegetation, the wet factor, you know, if it rained, if it's, you know, moist outside, whatever, I just kind of reapply as needed on my way to my stand and uh, then just go at it. You know, I love using buck pee, though. That's my favorite. Yeah. I think it's, it actually is uh, it's one of those things that might kind of trigger him to start, you know, looking for. He's thinking he's got some competition somewhere. Oh, yeah. um, and I'll tell you another, uh, and I'm sorry I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'll tell you something, speaking of uh-huh. while I had it on my mind. Um, 
a lot of people, you know, that I run into at deer shows and all these other places, they always talk about bucks chasing does and, you know, starting to use doe and heat and never seen no results with it. And in my opinion, when you see bucks and does, bucks chasing does rather, it's about too late to start using doe and heat. I ain't going to say it don't work, but, you know, when one doe comes into heat in that area, typically speaking, there's going to be multiple does coming into heat in the next days, and those bucks are busy with the girls. They're not going to pay much attention to your, you know, doe and heat trail you laid out. I want to be right. usually the the first doe and heat in my woods. That's what I try to yeah. be. Right. So, so, you know, it, it's often like, and I always tell people, it's kind of like, you know, turkey hunting. When you got doe or, you know, gobblers in the field with hens, it's hard to get the hen or that gobbler away from the hen, you know. You can't do right. it hardly. <laughs> so, you know, when bucks start chasing does and does are actually in heat, in estrus, it's tough to get them away from them, you know. So most people, I think, that don't have results from it see that you know, see that activity going on and expect a buck to just run to the bottom of their tree with this doe and heat. But nine out of ten times, that's not going to happen because he's already, you know, with a doe. Or if he's not with a doe, he's actively pursuing one already, even though you don't know about it. He's steady chasing her, you know, or, or on the prowl for her. You know, he's already got her locked down somewhere and in mind and headed toward her. Yep, yep. That's actually... You're talking about you want to be the first doe in heat, so, like, that's, that's a good. That's usually my strategy, and I try to think about two weeks before I think right. that, hey, I could see a buck chasing a doe any day. I try to go two weeks ahead of that and start with doe and heat then. Yeah, so, like, if this, if you if you think that your, your peak of doe and heat is November 15th, then you may want to Halloween. watch that last of October. Yeah. Yep. I'm starting using doe and heat and the last week of October is usually what I do. And I start incorporating it into my scrapes. And so far, you know, I've killed some really good deer November the 7th, November the 8th, you know, November the 12th, you know, and I've had the doe and heat and buck pee out on every single occasion. And and I'm not going to tell you every single, <clears throat> excuse me, deer came straight to it, but I can tell you several of them did and several of them, you know, came in to mock scrapes I'd made throughout the night, um, checking my mock scrapes, and then I killed the deer the next day, you know, hanging out over those scrapes. I killed a big deer four years ago, a 167-inch deer, and I killed him at 1.30 in the daytime over a mock scrape that I made two days before and got him on camera the very first day I made it, the very first night, rather, I made it. He he was on that camera, and that gave me the confidence to sit in there all day the next day. And by doing so, I killed that deer at one thirty in the day. That's Most awesome. people be at the truck. Oh yeah, I, I tell you, it's it's hard. It's hard. To, it's hard to get in and sit there that for that long. Or, I mean, which I mean, if you if you know you got a buck coming at that time, then you make him not go that morning and you right. know, kind of wait to 10, 11 o'clock, something like that, and, and right. sit there till I, 2 or yeah. 3. Yeah. i tell you, it's a, you know, I often, I try to tell people, you know, don't don't expect the obvious with deer sense or lures in, in any particular fashion. 
whether it be a grunt call, a rattling bag, a, or or doing heat or buck urine. You know, obviously the what you see on TV sometimes portrayed isn't what actually happened. Obviously, so sometimes that right. doe or that buck don't just come running straight down after he pumps two spray bottles and just start puffs in the air. You know, but I will say that buck urine and a lot of these other scents that we use, they may have so many hidden messages to deer that mean you don't even see on a day-to-day basis, and it may take a few days for you to connect the dots to kill that animal, and you don't even know it's working until, you know, just the right moment. That deer's in the right attitude, the right moment. He smelt that buck in his area, and then all of a sudden you blow a grunt call or you hit the rattling horns, and he goes, uh oh, there that, there it is, right there. I'm going to whip his butt. And then what you've been doing for the last week with your mock scrapes, just the rubber hit the road when you hit them rattling horns, you know. So, you know, did the buck pee kill him? Not necessarily. You rattled him in, but it planted an image in his head for the last week, you know, of another deer in his area. Yeah, yeah. You know something else. You something else. You just made me think of something that's actually that I've never actually thought of before. Um, now you said you know it's it's obviously like if you're get you guys get the you know get deer urine and it's it's actual deer urine from real deer. Now mm-hmm. I don't. Now, who's like just like you said? I mean, there's so many small subliminal messages, and it could be they could, you know, deer. I don't think we give give credit to deer enough. I don't think they, I don't think people understand how that they have a process. Um, now, I'm. It just made me think of this. Now, who's to say say that you know you have somebody go out and extract some deer urine from a doe and she's in heat at that moment so they extract it and it's doing it's doe urine it's in its estrus and you put it out okay we'll say a buck may cruise through there and he may smell it but for some reason he he can't come up there at that time or you know something's hindering him from coming all right, and and bucks and my, I mean, we all know bucks are. Pr- I'm pretty sure they know that. Okay, well, if she don't get bred, she's gonna probably come in heat again. And so, who's to say that a buck might not go? Man, you know, three or four weeks ago, or whenever it was, or I don't know how long it is before they come in heat again. But not twenty eight yeah, yeah. Who's to say that, you know, three weeks go by, four weeks go by, and he's cruising back through there, and he he may remember and say, man, you know, I, I smelled a doe up there, the, you know, back a month ago, and but I don't know. She, I may need to go up there and check it out. You know, you, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean, you, there's no way of reading that deer's mind, but you know they got – little hot spots that they travel through you know they know where the where the does are going to congregate four weeks from now so you know that does tie into any does that don't get bred that do come back in the heat they are going to be you know searching actively seeking those does and 
and you know, I don't know that they memory bank that, but who knows? They may, they may very well do so. Um, you yeah. made a point with your conversation there that I wanted to touch on real quick about extracting dough urine from a uh, harvest. You know, we often get that with people, um, and a lot of people say, well, I don't need dough and heat, you know, from you guys. I always kill a dough and I extract the urine myself. Well, I didn't know if a lot of people out here listening may think of it this way, but when you're extracting the dough urine from a, a dough, you know, that you harvested, A, how do you know she's in heat? I mean, even if a, a buck was chasing her, yeah, bucks are going to chase does, you know, just to test them before they come into heat. If they're chasing, their chances are they're not in heat when you do kill them. You know, that's that's one thing to point out. Um, number number two is all you're getting then is if you syringe their bladder and, and extract it, all you're getting is just urine. That has nothing to do with the in heat, if you will, vaginal secretions, pheromones, you know, that all is collected. The only reason we collect urine, obviously, is because it's the easiest transmitter of the the good stuff that that dough secretes when she's in a, in heat in estrus. Um, the urine is just simply a carrier, if you will. So most people we have had the opportunity to to take those and sedate them and and use a suction gun and suction out what you know you're after but it's very hard on animals so we typically just collect it in their urine as they do their business but you know i'll tell you that just to tell you this that a lot of people get the misrepresentation that they're getting dough and heat urine and they're not all they're getting is urine you know no dough and eat because without the vaginal secretions it passing through her um out her rear end there like that you know they're not getting all the good stuff that that buck's looking for. He don't care about her urine. He just, uh, you know, it does have its own smell, but don't get me wrong that they're not getting what they right. think they're getting. Right. He just, all you want that buck to know is there's a doe there and he needs to go check her out and see when she, when right. he thinks she might come. But I mean, the, right. But the vaginal secretions, pheromones, all that stuff, that's what you're after with your, when you're really collecting, you know, the doe and estra scent. You know, other than that, you just got dope feet. Right. Neat. That's interesting. Um, now one more question, and then I got then I got a bigger. I'll, I'll let you touch on some other one other big thing. Um, you've hunted in the Midwest, correct? Mm-hmm. Correct. Now, now, what do you, I just I like to ask this question so much, just because I hunt in the South, and it's actually. I think a really good question to ask you because you're in Tennessee and it's almost identical to hunting here in Georgia, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you, what do you think some of the differences are as far as hunting Midwest and hunting in the South or Southeast, I, mean, I guess? You know, agriculture is the main difference. You know, the amount of agriculture in the Midwest is probably trumps anything in the South or anywhere around my neck of the woods, you know. The sheer number of deer, you know, is very big indicator also, and that plays a big role in the rut and the buck-to-doe ratio and DNR, you know, the way they manage their deer herd to the to the south is different. Um, you know, there's a big, a lot of variables, but 
to me, I guess the number one thing that stands out, obviously, is the size of the deer, the horns, the big racks. Uh, and, you know, that all comes along with just a soil. You know, they got great soil, got great nutrition, you know, that the deer can eat. You can plant a right. soybean field in South Georgia, and it come up and look as pretty as you can ever imagine, but it not hold the value for nutrition that the deer get in, say, Illinois or Iowa or Missouri or some of those Midwest states. Uh, you know, the the ground is just so much better, um, and that turns into, you know, it's a heated debate with a lot of people. A lot of people want to say it's, you know, age structure and genetics, and, and there's probably a lot of both that goes into it, but number one factor is food, you know, what they eat. You know, they they get the they get the prime rib there, if you will. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, which which I I had a uh, actually I had this conversation with um, Bronson Strickland. He's a, a wildlife biologist at right. Mississippi State, and uh, that's that's what he was explaining was um, it was all about it's all about age food and uh, nutrition you know i mean uh, obviously if people see bigger deer they're more likely to pass on smaller bucks so you know one goes with the other but you know without the food you're never going to see the big deer you know oh yeah without passing the smaller deer you're never going to see the big deer you know there's a lot that goes into it um right. but you know first and foremost i feel this is just my my two cents is you know is the the ground the nutrition the dirt yeah yeah which I, I believe that too I mean and that's one thing that he even even Bronson said he he said uh, it's just it's, it's hard to um, it's hard to compare to thousands of acres of soybeans uh, and uh, they definitely got it um, oh they definitely got it. I mean. One of the, yeah, they, That's definitely it's just contributing. turning them loose in a smorgasbord, man. They just they got gro- unlimited groceries, man. Yep, yep. Um, well, speaking of big deer, uh, you guys, one of your one of your team members, actually was able to take a buck. I'm I'm not gonna get into full detail. I'll let you basically tell the story of it, but it's it's a it's a big big deer. And I'll yeah, you, I actually, I, I imagine you're you're speaking of Stephen Tucker with the Tucker buck in in Tennessee. This two I guess it's been three years ago now. This coming deer season be three deer seasons yeah. ago. Um yeah, and and I'll I'll kind of. I want to correct you in a way, but not correct you. But Stephen wasn't a member of anything to do with us when we knew when we first met him. He he okay. came to us. Yeah, he uh, we since he killed the deer became friends, and uh, he's a very good guy, Stephen Tucker, uh, out of Gallatin, Tennessee. He harvested in 2016 a deer that would uh, open a lot of people's eyes to the state of Tennessee. We had. He killed a 47-point-312-inch non-typical whitetail. Um, and, again, mm-hmm. I, I'll kind of tell you how I, I found Stephen, and he, he found me, if you will. The day that he shot his deer, 
Now, let me back up. The, the days before he shot his deer, he never heard of JNS since. Never knew my name, never even heard of our products. And he had a, on a Saturday morning in November, he misfired on a 312 inch buck with a muzzleloader. Had a, a cap snap and nothing came out the barrel at about 45 yards or 40 yards, something to that effect. Well, he calls his uh, brother-in-law, his wife's, I'm, I'm sorry, his sister's husband, and has a meltdown because of the deer. You know, he misses the, the deer of anyone's lifetime. And his brother-in-law gets him and takes him and goes to the shooting range and put another cap on the gun and pow, it just goes straight off, you know, shoots immediately. Well, that evening they go back to the blind and took, his brother-in-law took some of our JNS sense, which he was a big believer in our products. He took uh, some of our products with him and Stephen back to the blind and poured it in the scrapes along the edge of the cornfield. And uh, that evening they didn't kill the deer. They seen the deer, but they didn't kill him. He actually sat in the blind with Stephen that evening with another gun just in case they had another misfire. Um, and then two days later, the deer, on a Monday morning, Stephen was in his blind, and the deer came back and worked the scrapes that he had poured the deer sin in, the doe and heat, and uh, he killed the deer at about 40 yards, 35, 40 yards uh, on a Monday morning. And that was that's how me and Stephen got to know each other, is after he killed the deer, he contacted us just to let us know that he had, had taken this animal and how the scent had played a role in the in the harvest, you know, the deer coming back to the scrape and visiting it after he had misfired it at the deer two days prior. So, yeah. you know, with that, that's how our relationship was born. Um, very, very deserving young man with that deer. Um, I hate, you know, obviously on, on Facebook and social media, you're going to have naysayers and, and haters, if you will, but, I can 100% vouch for Stephen and that deer and the authenticity of it. And I stood on the ground where he killed the deer. It was just a phenomenal story and a world-class deer. You know, the largest white-tailed buck ever killed by a human being on planet Earth, if you want to look at it that way. That's the easiest way to tell you. So yeah. We was very, very proud to be a part of that story and have Stephen, you know, come over and help us try to tell his story and, uh, you know, to endorse our scent and our products. Man, that's crazy. It's 312 inches. That's just... Yep. And what's even more, you know, to me, 312 inches is crazy enough. But what's even more crazy is that the deer gross scored 315 inches and net scored 312. So out of all of the rack and all that mess, he had three inches of deduction. So basically, I mean, yeah, he had. I've seen I've seen pictures of him. Uh, I mean, he's got kickers and points and going everywhere. Oh yeah, 47 so points, scoreable points. Basically, that means he was pretty much even on both sides. Well, what they do with that, and I learned, uh, is they take the, the typical size of the animal, his typical rack, and they score him just as a typical. 
And that's a typical, nice. I'm going to probably lie to you and tell you different, but it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 152-inch 10-pointer is what it typically scored. So right. on that 152-inch 10-point frame, he had three inches of deduction. Then okay. after you take that away, add to add into that all of the non-typical abnormal points and, you know, add and tally all that up. And after that, it had a hundred and oh, a hundred and sixty something inches of non-typical abnormal points. So mm. you don't deduct any deductions on the abnormal side. Only the typical frame side is where the deductions come in. So you know, but to to say you had a hundred fifty-two inch ten pointer with three inches of deduction, that ended up scoring three hundred twelve inches with abnormal points. It's just Crazy. Yeah. That's uh that's insane. Yeah, that's definitely yeah. a buck. I, I think I think me and you had talked about it before. I think I think it was that's like the third largest buck ever recorded. Absolutely, yeah. The and I'll probably mess this up too, but in in my memory bank it's the Missouri monarch was the number one deer ever. And then the hole in the horn, or vice versa, the hole in the horn buck, then the Missouri Monarch, then Stephen Tucker's deer. So, you know, with one way or the other, I can't really remember off the top of my head, but I think one of them was 333 inches, the other one was 327, and then Tucker's buck ended up 312. And then to boot with the 312-inch score, the DNR and TWRA, Tennessee Wildlife Resources Agency, all agreed that he had 12 to 14 inches broken off before, you know, from the time he had velvet pitchers to the time he harvested the animal, he had 12 to 14 inches broken off. Mm. So, you know, the deer was definitely within within reach of the number two animal on the planet, you know, ever. But never has a, a deer of that caliber been killed by another hunter. The, the second in line to Stephen and his buck is the Tony Levenston buck in Iowa, and it was 308. So right now he he holds 312, and the second, you know, biggest is 308 killed by a hunter. Um, you know, so who who knows? I mean, it, hopefully it lasts for a long, long, long time for his sake, but at the end of the day, no matter if it gets beat this year, it's still a, uh, something to, to be very, very proud of. Oh, yeah. Definitely definitely puts him in a, a category all by itself or only with oh, a few yeah. people. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, to, to miss the deer and snap fire on it and get a second opportunity at a deer that size, you know, um, something something yeah. else, no doubt. Yeah. that's a, Man, that's a huge... Mm-hmm. I just crazy. I mean, we've been blessed and been able to take the deer around and, you know, show it off at shows and meet all the hunters across the country and let them, you know, share the deer with them. And it's been a very, a very good privilege, you know, to do so. And and along the way, we've been become friends and Stephen, his wife and new baby, and he's just a very good dude, you know, down to earth farm boy. Couldn't have happened to anybody better, honestly. Man, that's good stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm glad for him. Um, I sure don't know what I would do. I'd probably fall out of the stand if I seen 300 inches coming up on me. Um, oh, I guarantee you. You know, and if you if you see the deer, you know it don't really look 
I guess what people think that that deer should look like at 300 inches. Um, oh, yeah. but he's only got a 14 inch inside spread, but he's got 47 right. points. You know, I mean, you score 47 yeah. points and they're not bumps. They're points. They're seven, eight inches long, two, three inches long, you know, 47 of them. It adds yeah. up quick. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you definitely don't have to have the wheel. You know, um, a lot of people don't realize this, you know, and this is, I think, worth mentioning. The the Tennessee state record prior to Tucker's buck was killed in the same exact county. It was about 12 or 14 years ago, and it had 32 or 30. It was a lot. I can't remember how many points. He had a lot. No, I take that back. He had more points. I won't say he had more points than Stevens deer did. I'd have to look it up, but you can Google it and look. But the previous state record, but it was 240-something inch deer in Tennessee. Same county, same everything. Crazy. I want to say I read an article or watched a TV article on, and the guy's name is Dave Washell, or I can't remember how you pronounce his last name, but he had a uh, the deer prior to Tucker's buck. And I think that he had more points than Tucker's now that I'm thinking about the story. I want to say he had 50-something points, 52 points or something, because he still holds the record for the most points on an animal, and Tucker holds the record for the largest Boone and Crockett score on an animal. So two different records within the same state, within the same county, and two deer came out of that same, you know, in the last 15 years, roughly. It's, it's, you know, for people to say, you know, that this deer was, you know, pen deer or fence deer, whatever story they can concur, you know, it's crazy. But, you know, you take this, the history behind that county, there's a cluster buck gene running around, you know, has been, killed multiple deer in that area, you know, with those same genetics, you know, multiple points. And it's a nuts, man. It was a very cool oh, story yeah. to hear. Yeah, that is pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I know Tucker's not on here, but he may hear this. Uh, but yeah, I just that's a big congratulations to him. Um, well, I guess I guess we can uh, go ahead and wrap this up, Jason, and uh, I'll I'll let you kind of get you a plug in and kind of let people know where you know where they can get with y'all and check you guys out and everything. All right, I'll. Uh... Be happy to tell them. You can visit our website at jssense.com. That's J-S-S-C-E-N-T-S.com. We have multiple locations across states. Uh, you can also, you know, that's available on our website. See where if there's a retailer near you. Um, we sell fresh, uh, you know, deer urines. We have cover scents from white oak acorn, earth, molasses, sweet corn, red apple. We have vapor units where we vape our actual scents. We, we're one of the first companies to ever go with that technology, and we can actually vape dough and heat or vape the buck urine remote control from 50 yards in. Uh, we got a lot of cool stuff on our website. You can go on there and check us out. And all your orders, if you ship or if you order outside of deer season, just make sure you pick your shipping date. You can order in June if you'd like, but make sure you pick the day you want it shipped to your front door, and then we'll get it in the mail, and, and hopefully you too can can have some good luck this fall. You know, we 
we have a great product and offer very quick shipping. Typically speaking, it's two to three days turnaround time. So everybody get on that website and check us out and look at this Tucker Buck and, and read that story. It's definitely worth looking at. Awesome. All right, Jason. Well, I mean, I sure appreciate you coming on and doing this podcast. And I'm sure the listeners are going to, I think they're going to enjoy this one. Absolutely, man. It's my pleasure. And I hope everybody out there has a good fall. And and above everything, guys, wear your hunter safety system. Do not fall out of your tree. I can't tell deer pee to dead people. So let's That's put right. the vests on this year. <laughs> That's right. Be safe. That's right. I'm telling you, it ain't no matter what happens with us and our business. And if you crawl up a tree and fall out, it ain't good. I promise you. Man, that hunter safety system to me makes a great vest. Or it don't matter what brands you use. Just tie yourself up. Guys, I just wanted to say, too, that since we were talking about the Tucker Buck, uh, you know, we were giving Stephen a lot of props and, congratulations and we were just in awe of the size of the buck um but again as i've said several times before it's it's not about the size of the deer that you kill that's that's what we want to bring in you know from strut south we want people to know that it's okay if you want to shoot a 120 inch deer that's completely fine it's it's all about you know, being able to take whatever you want from hunting. So if you want, if you want to just go out and hunt and not kill anything, but you just want to go and hunt to, just to see deer or see turkeys or whatever it may be, that's completely fine. I just, I, I want people to understand that, and it's it doesn't matter what what the size of the animal is. I mean, me personally, I want to shoot mature bucks. But that doesn't mean they have to be 140 or 150 inches, and it and it could that I mean that could be the same for you. I just want to be able to bring you guys whatever it, whatever you may need, just to give you another one little bitty thing that can help you in your in your you know the challenge of whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish. Uh, and and that's what it's all about. I mean, it's it's all about having fun and being able to enjoy the outdoors and, you know, because it's what we love. So, just so you guys know, I mean, it that's it it doesn't matter what the size of the deer is. Now, still not taking anything away from the Tucker buck. I mean, that's that's a huge accomplishment and that it deserves some it deserves some congratulations because that that doesn't happen very often. It's actually never happened because <laughs> it's the biggest deer ever killed by anyone. So, but yeah, man, just guys, just do hunt how you want to. That's that's basically what I'm getting at. And I hope you guys really enjoyed this show. I sure did. And there's a lot of good stuff in there. And uh, you guys stay tuned. <laughs>